Thank you so much for having me this morning. We had an incredible weekend. Hi to all the campuses. I love that it's a big church. It's a, it's a big church, small church with a lot of people. And I love that you guys are doing campuses. My husband and I were campus pastors for seven years and we loved it. We loved being in our community and doing church. So I'm so excited to be here. And I loved meeting all the people from Seattle who this weekend, all the women, all the chosen women from all the different campuses and also so many from Washington, from the Seattle area, who had relocated for Boeing. God bless you, Boeing. So it's like, almost like I feel like I have two homes now. It's like, just so, so great. We had an incredible time, and I was so grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm going to show you why I need these. Do you guys have pictures of my grandsons? Could you pop up my grandsons? I need these because I'm a grandma. And um, there they are, my eight grandsons. I know the one second from the end looks like a girl, but he's not. He just got that long, amazing hair. It doesn't help either that he's got a cute name. His name is Haven. So if you're out with him with that long hair and you say Haven, because people think he's a girl. But he's, so we buy shirts, I'm a great brother, and all those kind of things, you know. They kind of make him look a little macho. So those are our guys. So fun. I have two okay kids and eight amazing grandsons. Um, no granddaughters. But for those eight grandsons, I understand that your pastor has a ton of granddaughters, so we can do some arranged marriages. But my daughter, who's here in the front row, rocking her Seahawks stuff, um, she said that she'd give it one more go round. She's got four sons, but she said she'd try again, so you could be praying that this grandma would get to buy one thing pink before we're all done having grandchildren. But I'm really happy to be here. And I, I have to, I, who, who are the Patriot fans? God bless you, Patriot fans. I'm just praying for your hearts today. That you are gracious losers and that God just does something supernatural in your team. Um, we, have a, we do have a super, it's crazy because I am so not normally a football fan, but in the last three or four years, Russell Wilson, our quarterback, and tons of our team have started to attend our services. And all of a sudden, we're, you're engaged now. Because, and I don't know if you've ever seen, I'm sure a lot of teams do it, but they always show the end zone before the game starts, and he, he and a huge amount of the team, and sometimes the other team members on the opposite team will come and they'll gather in prayer before, and then they'll do it again at the end. And so they're so sorry, we're aggressive, and we're rocking our Seahawks wear today. I asked Josh, I said, yeah, I would love to stay for Sunday, but are you guys Seahawks fan, or am I going to be eaten alive there? And he goes, I don't know, I think we're, you know, we could probably be both. And I said, okay, well, I could do that. So thank you for having gr grace with me if you aren't a Seahawks fan, or if you could care less, I'm grateful that you're here this morning, and I'm grateful to be here too. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this place. I thank you for what you're doing in our midst and for what you're doing on the planet, God. God, I thank you that this morning we have an appointment with heaven. God, not just as Seacoast Church, God, but we have an appointment as individuals this morning with heaven. That we've gathered as a group, as a congregation, as we've gathered in campuses all across this great area, God. God, I thank you that you know every name, I don't know how you do that, but you know every name, every marriage, every circumstance, every situation, and God, you're able to come even to us corporately and to us individually and to speak answers and hope and clarity. So God, we're asking for that this morning, that you would come and meet us individually in a supernatural way. And God, we pray and thank you in advance for the Seahawks' victory today in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you, Patriot fans, for agreeing with us this morning. I want to share a passage of scripture this morning from Mark chapter 2. Um, 
We're, like, like Pastor said, you guys are starting a series on Mark, so I'm going to jump right in today. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1. It's a um, passage of scripture about some people who had a God encounter. I mean, obviously the whole word of God is filled with people who had God encounters, Jesus encounters. But you know, before, even just for a minute before I read it, I don't know about you, but life is pretty big. I refuse to say that my life is busy. I say that I live a big life. People always go, I know you're really busy. I said, no, I'm not busy. I choose a big life. You can either have a big life, a small life, or a no life. So I choose big, a big life. And um, so I think the thing about a big life is that when you live a big life, a full life, you don't want to do things for the sake of doing them. And I don't think that any of us came to church this morning just because it's Sunday morning. And if you did, maybe your mom made you or your wife made you or who knows what. Maybe that was how you got in here this morning. But I truly believe that God has brought us here because he wants to encounter us. Because one encounter, one breath, one word, one prayer, one touch truly will mark you and change you forever. You know, um, I said, was said in, the, in an earlier service that we, I actually it happened at one of we were campus pastors. I was in the front and the church was packed and some lady from the back, I w- after the service she came forward and she said, I just wanted to meet you. Are you that loud mouth lady in the front row? And I said, oh yeah. And I'm sorry for anybody who had to stand near me this morning and listen to me sing, but um, and she said, I just wanted to see who was up here that won't, and they, why they were so loud. And I said, you know, I know what it's like to be broken and lost. I know what it's like to be depressed and hopeless. And I know what it's like to have Jesus meet me in a supernatural way and touch me and change me. And there is no way 35 years later that I'm going to still be quiet about it. That God has met me in such an incredible way. He has broke addiction off my life. He has saved my marriage. He has helped me to not choose abortion when it could have been a fleeting thought option and and that he has healed all the broken places in my heart and he continues to do it there is no way I will be quiet about how good and how amazing he is that now he lives in me and I can live for him and you know what when we come together for church you know maybe I love it the pastor said that maybe this is your first time and maybe you're like wow these guys got together they're singing karaoke that's cool I remember the first time I came to a church like this and everybody had their hands up I'm thinking these people all have questions I wonder how that guy up there is going to get to them all. And then in the midst of that, I felt something that made me want to raise my hand. But you know, when we come together, I believe that God wants to meet with us, not just for the sake of gathering, but to encounter us, to to touch us and to speak to us. And that's my expectation for this morning. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, and it was reported that he was home, that many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not, there was no more room not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. You know, chapter 1 in Mark talks about Jesus traveling around doing all kinds of miracles. And chapter 2 starts off saying that he came home. This is their home base, the place that they gathered, him and the, he and the disciples and those who were following him gathered there in Capernaum. And he went home probably to rest. But when everybody heard about the amazing things that he did in chapter 1, which wasn't chapter 1 then, obviously, they decided, let's go see for ourselves. You know, and I believe that those kind of things happen every week at Seacoast Church. Those kind of things happen every week at every one of your campuses. I almost said our campuses. Our campuses happen every week. And you know what happens? It makes people want to come and see our God by how we live our life and how we experience our God. And that's what happened. That so many people came to see God move in a powerful way that the door, no one could get near the door. And it says, 
And then he was preaching, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And they could not get near the door because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. In several other translations, the Bible says, it doesn't say they removed the roof. It says they broke through. They broke through the roof. And probably, more than likely, theologians believe that it was a breakthrough, not a removal of the roof. Because in, in, there, in those days, and if you've ever been to a third world country, how many of you have done missions? This is my shameless plug for missions right here. How many of you have never been on a mission trip? Oh, come on, you guys. Get your passports. It'll change your life. Um, but I was in Africa once at, on, a, in an, on an island church out in the village. Oh, this probably isn't very inviting to make you want to do missions. But this never happened before or ever happened again to me. But anyway, I was in a church standing in the front of this crowded little hut sharing the gospel. And something in the roof, it was one of those grass, mud roofs. Something in the roof began to eat something. It sounded like an extremely large bug. I could hear it chewing, and as it chewed, stuff kept falling on my Bible. And I kept thinking, i got to finish this before that thing drops out of the ceiling on me. But because the roofs were made the same in, in, the, in these days as they were then, they were made out of mud and sticks. And so in order for these guys to get through, which we're going to look at in a minute, they would have had to break through. They would have had to dug through. They would have had, stuff would have been falling, it would have been a mess. But they would have had to actually do something to make a hole in the roof, not just to remove it. And it says... Um, and, they, and when they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that, that they were questioning among themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven, or take up your bed and walk. And he said, but so you will believe. He said, he said to the man, I say to you, pick up your, rise, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed, glorified God. And they were saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's my prayer for Sunday service at our church every week to myself on my way to church. God, I pray that we can leave today and say we've never seen anything like this that we have seen you in such a powerful, amazing way, that you've met us in such a personal way, in such a personal way that we can leave and say we've never seen anything like this. Um, pastor Josh said that I was the missions pastor at our church, and um, if, you, if you don't love to fly, being the missions pastor can be a drag. But I really like it. I love it. Good thing I do. And I, I'm probably four, I can some months be on 14 to 20 to 25 flights a month. That's a lot of air miles. That's a lot of airports, a lot of sitting, a lot of luggage. Um, I, I go through luggage like I, I'm buying luggage. You know, I used to before I, I was the missions pastor. I'd buy luggage once every 20 years, and, and then I changed it because it just looked ugly. But I, I wear my luggage out now. But I like everything about it. I know if you, if you don't like to fly or if you fly just to get from destination to de destination, a lot of people don't like to fly. I don't mind it. I don't mind the airport. I don't mind the wait. I don't mind the delay. I don't mind, you know, even the guy sitting next to me falling asleep, leaning on me. I, I, I don't, I like it because one thing I like is it's a captive audience. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the bathroom, but they're going to have to come back. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I, 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 I don't mind anything about it. God has graced me to do that. And I've traveled so much and got so good. I could, I could almost tell the flight attendant, hey, take a seat. Let me help you out. 
you know, two exits in the back, over the wings. I mean, the whole thing, the, the oxygen things. I mean, I, I almost could re recite it word for word. I know what's in the magazines. I've done all the crossword puzzles. I mean, yeah, I've done it all. And none of it bothers me. Not any of the announcers. It uh, doesn't bother me. You can see people's faces when the pilot comes on and goes, we're going to experience some turbulent. We'd like you to put your seatbelts on and stay in your seats. And then it's especially interesting when he says, I'd like to ask the flight attendants to take their seat. Whoa. I just see it as an opportunity to speak peace. I love it. Because I know my life's not over, so while everybody may be freaking out around me, it's a great opportunity to just go, oh, well, no, this is not our end. I have things to do. I'm sure this is not our end. So none of those things bother me. The turbulence doesn't bother me. The announcer doesn't bother me. And, I, and it doesn't bother me when they come down the aisle and I'm kind of near the back of the plane and they go, well, we started off with these three options to eat and now we have fish, fish, or fish. It's like, mm, I'll fast, you know, but... None of that stuff really bothers me, but there is one announcement that they make on the plane that it's like dread enters into my heart when they make this announcement. And it happens near the end of the flight when we're getting close to our destination and, you know, they come on and say, put your seat backs up and put your tay tables away, power down all your electronic devices. How am I doing? If you've taken out any carry-on luggage while we were traveling, please return it to the overhead compartment, you know, all the blah, blah, blah. So you got all the things going on, and you heal the, you, right about the time they say that, almost instantaneously, you feel the plane begin to go down. And I'm thinking, right on, here we go. But the worst thing that happens is after a few minutes, before he even gets back on, you feel the plane start to go up. And then you hear the thing break in, and he says... Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry to announce, but because of conditions on the ground beyond our control, we are unable to land at this time in this airport. So what we're, and it can be air traffic, that there's too much air traffic, or maybe there's fog, but what we're going to do is we're going to circle over the area until there's a clearing and the conditions have changed on the ground and we can land. Now that doesn't sound maybe like a serious threat. It's not a threat, but what it is, is it makes me realize that I am stuck that I am in a, in a place, in a place on this plane where I have no control. I can't go back to where I've been, not like I would want to, and I can't go on to where I'm supposed to be. And it makes me feel powerless. My children tell me that I'm a time Nazi because time is important to me. And so that fact that they made me turn my computer off, I can't work to get out of this place. I can't call someone. Pilot's not asking me for advice. Can you believe it? All the things, there's, it is out of my control, and I'm stuck in a holding pattern. You know, this morning, maybe you've come and you feel like you're stuck in a holding pattern in your life. Yeah, we're not on a big jet, and I'm not taking you into somebody place. If I was, we'd be flying to Phoenix to watch the Super Bowl. But because we're not, you know what? If you're not stuck this morning, there'll be some time that you will be in your life. Stuck in your marriage. Feeling like, okay, we're married, this is it. I remember being married on more than one occasion feeling like, all right, I don't want to go back to where we were, but I can't do anything to make us move forward in this relationship either. We're stuck. I feel stuck. Maybe in your finances you make just enough money to, to pay your bills every month. And make it, if you get a little bit extra, then the car needs tires. You get a little extra, then you have to go to the orthodontist. And you feel stuck in some place financially. Or maybe you feel stuck physically. Fighting an ailment over and over and over again and contending, contending, and you feel stuck. That you, you, you can't, there's nothing, it's beyond your control to be able to change it on your own. This passage of scripture that we just read about this man being paralyzed was stuck. He was physically stuck, unable to move, unable to care for himself, 
unable to stand himself, un unable, which is the point of this message, to get himself to the feet of Jesus. And you know what, whether you're stuck someplace in your life, in your business, maybe you're even stuck in your business. Maybe this is a word for someone today that you feel like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next. One word from God. One word from God whispered in your spirit. One creative idea dropped by the spirit of God into your heart can cause you to be unstuck in a moment. This, this passage of scripture that we just read talked about a man who was paralyzed. It doesn't tell us the details. It doesn't tell us how long he laid in one place. It doesn't tell us how much he weighed. It doesn't tell us how far the men had to carry him. But what it tells us is that he was stuck. And, if, and like I said, if we don't, you don't find yourself stuck this morning, there will be some time in your life that you will be stuck. And what you need is people around you to, to carry you to the feet of Jesus. When these men got this man to the house where Jesus was, they, I can imagine telling him the whole time, we're going to take you someplace. This man's doing miracles. He's going he's gonna to touch you. Maybe that's how you got to church this morning. Maybe someone told you, hey, I'm going to take you to this place. God's going to be there. And, and, and something's going to happen. And when they got to the house where Jesus was, they couldn't get in. Maybe park, like the parking lot at Seacoast this morning. They couldn't get in. And so what they did is instead of giving up, Instead of walking away, and I had to repent when I was looking at the story in the last few months, I thought, I probably would have said, sorry, bud, ain't nobody got time for this. Time. I, 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 didn't, I don't have time. I, I allotted this much money, or this much time to carry you to the feet of Jesus. Your time's up. So let's try again next week. Hey, there's no parking. I know I was going to take you there, but I can't find a place to park. So, hey, well, let's try to do it another time. I, there were lots of other options, but these men were not of that heart. They were not of that mindset. And you know what? I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be that kind of person that I'm not of the mindset that there's any other option that I'm going to keep knocking until I can get you to the feet of Jesus. And when they got there and they, they could have gone up and got out and turned around, they didn't. What they did is they went up on the roof. They went up on the roof, and the Bible says that they broke through. They made a way for this guy to get to Jesus, this man who was stuck, this man who felt paralyzed. You know, sometimes you even feel paralyzed in your soul. Sometimes you're stuck in a place of depression or stuck of worry or fear. And what you need is someone else to come alongside and go, you know what? I, I can carry you. I'll carry you to Jesus. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to punch heaven with my prayers. I'm going to punch and punch and punch with, with my prayers for you until there's an opening there. Until something opens in the heaven that I can lower you down to the feet of Jesus. Because I know that if I can get you to him, if I can get you to him, and it doesn't have to just be in the church. If I can get you to him in, in my car, if I can get you to him at the Starbucks, if I can get you to him, one word, one word can heal you. One word can unstick you to move forward in the things that God has for you. I want to be that kind of friend. I want to be that person. You know, I thought about people in my life that I wanted to carry to Jesus in my own way. And the, this, is, this is what I can do. This is what I can do for you, these kind of things. And I thought, you're never going to change. You're never going to change. I'm done carrying. Yes, the other day, Allison and I were talking about someone in our lives, and I was complaining about them. And last night at the end of the service here at Seacoast Church, God said to me, reminded me that I was complaining about him. And he said, why don't you just carry him to me? Why don't you just carry him to me in prayer? Why don't you just hit heaven with prayers until a hole breaks through? Don't give up on people. Don't, someone didn't give up on you. 
Someone didn't give up on me when I was on my way to hell in a handbasket. Someone didn't give up to me when I was addicted to drugs and pregnant and not married. Someone didn't give up on me all along my journey. And it's like, I want to be that person. You know, if you are the stuck, you've come to the right place because there's a group of people here who want to carry you. A group of people here want to help you and contend with you. They broke through, and I loved it. The Bible doesn't say they broke through the roof, and then they dropped the guy and said, okay. No, it says they, they lowered him before Jesus. They lowered him into that place. Can you imagine the people in the church? This is, this is where we, for those of you who are part of Seacoast, for those of you who have been believers for a period of time, this is where we blow it. First of all, when, when our back is to the door and people can't get in, people in need, that's when we, and I know your church isn't like that, but that's where we blow it. And then another place that I know that we can sometimes blow it as believers is when things are happening that we don't like what's going on. Can you imagine what it was like when these guys started to break through the roof? Not like I'm recommending anybody break through the roof. But can you imagine the mess? Can you imagine the noise? It doesn't say that Jesus did anything. He just probably kept right on teaching. If that would have been my house, man, the police would have been on it. I would have been angry and yelling, hey, look at this junk dropping on me. It would have been chaotic. But you know what? Jesus didn't see any of that. And if he did, it's not what the word focuses on, and it's not what he focused on. The Bible says when they lowered the man, Jesus saw their faith. Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith. He saw their faith, that they contended, that they carried him through the streets, this probably stinky man, this paralyzed man. And when they got there, they didn't give up. They didn't give up. They didn't give up on the drug addict that they sent to rehab three times. They didn't give up on the neighbor who feels like you feel like you're talking to him and talking to him. They didn't give up on people because they knew if they could just get him to the feet of Jesus, if, they could just, if he could just hear his voice and get one word, one word, their life, his life would be changed forever. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, he said to them, the first thing he did to him is he reminded him who he was in front of everybody. He didn't say, hey, man, you stink, paralyzed guy. He didn't say, man, your marriage is a mess. You're a terrible dad. You lost your business. He didn't, he didn't bring up anything from his past. He told him who he was. He reminded him who he was. You know what? It's the greatest power that we possess as believers is to tell people who they are, that they're children of God, to ascribe value to them, to remind them that they belong to God. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, son, son, in front of all the people, he said, you're my son. You're my son, the boy I always wanted. Let me validate. Let me remind you who you are. Let me remind you who you are, that you're my son. I went to the L.A. Dream Center three or four years ago, or a year ago, a couple years ago. It wasn't a lot, all so much traveling, I don't remember, but since I've been a past, the pastor there in Seattle, probably in the last two or three years, and went to the L.A. Dream Center, and, we, you know, I had a team, and we did all kinds of stuff, and I know you guys have a Dream Center, and I'm so great. I, I said to Pastor Josh, I said, is there anything you guys don't do? It's like, seriously, if I lived in South Carolina, I'd be right here at this church. And um, so I went, and we served and did all kinds of things all day long, and the, all week long, and the very last day, we uh, drove a van of the people who were with me down to Skid Row. And Skid Row is an area in downtown L.A. that is huge city blocks. I don't know how many. Um, and every block is completely surrounded. The sidewalk is completely surrounded with people living on the street. Cardboard boxes, men, women, children, 
every age, ethnic group, living on the street in cardboard boxes or some kind of lean-to shelters. And right in the midst of that, the Dream Center is doing a feeding program, so we're going to help with that. We're feeding it. It's a meal. So we assign our team every place to go, and I asked the, the man in charge there, what can I do? How can I help you? And he said, can you stand at the front of the line? I'm telling you, I couldn't see the line, hundred, end of the line, hundreds of people waiting to be fed. He said, can you stand at the end of the line and so we don't have chaos, watch for people to get in line, and when there's a space, send the next person to go get his meal. I said, sure, I can do that. So I thought, yeah, sure, I can do that. So I stand there, and I'm there about two minutes, and I am so uptight. Seriously, I'm so uptight. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. I've been to all these countries in the world and seen extreme poverty, but I'm thinking I have no idea how to connect with this person. And so you know what I did? I said, God, tell me what to do. You know what, there's people in your life that you have no idea how to carry to Jesus, and he'll tell you what to do. He'll show you how to talk to them. And God said to me, just talk to them until they look at you. Well, that didn't sound hard, but as I begin to talk to the first man in line, he's looking straight ahead. Like, like I, he doesn't even hear or can't even hear what I said. But I continued. I continued to talk to him and talk to him and talk to him, and finally he looked at me. And the minute he looked at me, I felt God say to me, you know why? They're used to being invisible. They stand on the street every day with a handout or their sign up, and people walk by them like they're invisible. And he said to me, what would it cost you on the street to look into their face, to remind them that they're not invisible? It's how we carry people. And it's the first thing that Jesus did with the man. He reminded him that he saw him, that he called him son. As I stood there, I, the next person came up and I said, okay, what I, you know, and I, I did that. I engaged this woman until she looked at me and I felt like God said, ask her her name. So I, I asked her her name. I think it was her name Eileen or Elaine or something. And so while we talked for those few seconds, every time I said something to her, oh, I love your shoes, Elaine, I used her name. And when it was her turn to go get food, she looked at me and she said, I can't remember the last time someone called me by name. It's easy not just for people outside the church, but it's easy for us sometimes inside the church to forget who we are, to forget that we're individuals, that we have a name. And the third thing he told me to do as I stood there that afternoon, and it changed my life. He said to me, they think they're invisible because no one looks at them. They forgot that they have a name and who, who they are, that they are somebody. They're not existing. They are somebody. They're a precious life, and they belong to me. And the third thing he told me to say is ask them if they're from here. So I asked these people all day long when I got to that place in the conversation, are you from L.A.? 95% of them were not from L.A. So I said, where are you from? And all of a sudden they began to remember that they had had a different life, that where they are today is not who they really are, that they, they, had, they were somebody else, they had something else, and whatever brought them to that place, all of a sudden in those few minutes of looking into their face and validating them and ascribing value to them just by a look. I'm nobody. But it's the same gift that God has given all of us to carry people to Jesus, that we have that on the inside of us to not give up on people, to believe in them and to speak to them and to carry them to Jesus. And, and that day marked my life and changed me forever. Just in that, those few seconds when I realized, that, oh, my gosh, we have the ability to carry people to the feet of Jesus and not give up on them. Not see people as hopeless. And, and if you're here today and you feel stuck, maybe you feel hopeless. You feel like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to move forward. You know what? You come to the right place today because Jesus is here. The first thing he said is he said, son, 
daughter, let me remind you first who you are. You belong to me. Me, king of the universe. You, God said, you belong to me. He called this man son. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Whatever you've done in the past and whatever may have gotten you here to this place to be stuck, it's forgiven. Your shame is covered. It's, you've been forgiven. And of course, there's always a critic. Someone always rises up and Pharisees begin to rise up and say, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And basically what Jesus said back is, you know what? You're right. Only God could forgive sins and only God could cause a paralyzed man to get up and walk. So what difference does it make which one I say? Because both of those are impossible with man, but they're possible with me. So t take up your bed and walk. And the man immediately got up and began to walk. You know, as I read this, I thought about the people in my life that God has put in my life for a purpose, to carry them to Jesus. And how that looks in every situation and for every person, that looks different. But I felt stirred to not give up. But I also felt stirred to think about, why don't I? Why don't I? And about, I don't know, maybe 10 days ago, a week ago, my daughter and her husband and her three little boys live with us. The great adventure. And um, my grandson, who's seven, was sitting at the counter with a piece of lined notebook paper. And he was writing something on the paper. And I go, oh, no, no, Luca, see this red line right here? This is the margin. And he looked at me like, so? And I said, no, no, you, you don't write in the margin. You, you, you start with the red line and write this way. And he said, I said, so you don't write in the margin? He said, why? And I went, uh, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know, but you just don't write in the margin. And I love it, you know, sometimes you speak to people and you can feel God speaking to you. And God said to me, you, you, you know what? You write your life from one edge of the paper to the other. You fill your time from one edge of the paper to the other. You budget your finances from one edge of the paper to the other. And there's no margin. There's no place to stop when you see someone in need. There's no place to give when you see someone in need. Your mind is so busy and so full with so many things that you need to do that there's no margin to think about someone else or to allow me to speak to you about someone else. And, and from that moment, it was like God did something on the inside of me that it was like, God, I want to create margins in my life. Because if I have margins in my mind, I'll be able to think about someone else. And if I have margins in my heart that my heart isn't so full of all my own things and all my own stuff, I can have compassion for someone else. And if I have some margin in my time when you tell me to pick up somebody. You know, a lot of times carrying someone to the feet of Jesus costs more than you planned. And it's messier than you planned. Everything about it. It's like I remember one time giving up, picking up a woman who was on the side of the road in the rain. You know, I was feeling like a do-gooder. That's exactly how I felt. Kind of proud. Oh, let me help you out. It was in the rain in the evening. I'm about two miles from home. And I'm thinking, oh, she, I'll just drive her. I'm sure she's probably not going far. So I stopped and helped her get her child in the car. And I mean, my, I'm sure my, I'd like to say my motives were right, but my response shows that they weren't. So the woman got in the car, and I said, wow, it's really wet. And she said, yeah. And I said, where are you going? Can I give you a ride? She said, downtown Seattle, which was about 25 miles in the opposite direction in traffic in the rain. And, and I started to think, let me see, where could I drop her to catch a bus? And I just felt like God said to me, really? Really? I want to 
want to carry, I want to carry it all. And I felt like by the time I, God was done talking to me, I wanted to carry her all the way. I wanted to bring her all the way. And you know what? There's people in our life that God's calling us to carry all the way. Because if we can get them to the feet of Jesus, however that looks, one word will change them forever. And one of the things that I realized I needed to do was to create some margins in my life. My life wasn't so full and so big that when he spoke, I could stop. When he wanted me to give, I could give. When he wanted me to love, I could love. When he wanted me to listen, I could listen. That I didn't write my life from border to border. I don't know if you're here today and you're feeling stuck in your life. If you did, you came to the right place. You know the greatest thing about the church? The greatest thing about the church is for those who are sick who need to be well. And it's for those who are well who want to help the sick. So if you're here this morning and you feel stuck, you came to the right place. You came to the right place. There's people all around you who are going to carry you to the feet of Jesus. And if you came today and you're not stuck, God's going to show you the people in your life that we need to not give up on, that we need to hit heaven and hit heaven and hit heaven with our prayers first till we punch a hole in it to get them to the feet of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this incredible church. I thank you, God, that they are a place of hope, this is a place of healing. This is a place of restoration. God, I thank you this is a place where people become unstuck by one word, by one encounter, by one prayer, by one touch, God. God, and I thank you that this is a place, God, where, where, where the strong help, are helping the weak, where the sick are being cared for, God. And God, I just thank you for speaking to each of us today. God, I thank you that you love us corporately and you're doing an amazing th thing through this church and every one of these campuses. But God, in these few minutes... God, I'm asking that you would speak to us individually. That word would become a resonating fire on the inside of us, Lord God. God, I thank you. I thank you, God. I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you call us sons and daughters today. In Jesus' name.